Hello and welcome to But Have You Heard About, where I and a guest talk about a new historically based topic. My guests will be presented with three topics to choose from. One is a topic for them, one is a shared interest, and the last is for me because I love hearing the sound of my own voice. Today's guest is my friend, Trisha. Hola. Beautiful. So that's actually great. Hopefully, maybe going for one of these topics, depending on which one you choose. So I have three topics for you to choose from. One is what's drugs got to do, got to do with it. The second one is bleeding Kansas. And the third is I still know nothing about the Know Nothing Party. Trisha, what would you like to talk about today? Let's talk about drugs. Hell yeah. All right. So when we talk about like the war on drugs, we always think about the Nixon administration and it started in the 70s. In all honesty, the war on drugs started in 1930. And it started with, excuse my French, a piece of shit racist man named um, Harry J. Anslinger. And basically, he originally was employed by the government to work during Prohibition. He was in the Bahamas, and he got to have, like, the easiest job ever where he just went around the Bahamas being like, hey, no bootlegging over here. But once his, you know, the Prohibition was over in 1929, he was like, or yeah, 1929, 1930 with FDR, he was like, well, I need to create a job for myself like any mediocre white man does. And he was like, drugs. Drugs are bad. But honestly, he decided that only certain types of drugs were bad. Originally, he wanted to go after heroin and cocaine. And he created the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1930. And when he wanted to go after heroin and cocaine. I feel like he's like going out to get them. Oh, he really. He's going after them. He's like, hey, you got some heroin? You know what? It gets better. This man is a, he is, um, he's up there in my top five probably worst people in the government. That's, That's a big list. It is. So. He basically decided he needed to start this job. And he's like, okay, I want to do this. But he wanted to go after only minorities because it's easy to go after minorities. But most people of color, especially during the 1930s, really didn't have a lot of access to um, heroin and cocaine, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, even now, heroin and cocaine are still kind of expensive. If you want to go like on the, I, I'm assuming. I know. I know, right? Courtney, how do you know that the, the, the drug market numbers? My bad, guys. I mean, I don't research. know. It's research, guys. I mean, it's what, that's what historians do, research things. Not really. I'm just speaking out of my ass about the drug money. But because he has these racist tendencies, he was like, I'm going to go after marijuana. And mostly for backstory on marijuana, we literally been smoking, like we had hemp in our country since before we were a country during British rule. Uh, literally farmers were paid to grow hemp and have hemp products up until like the 1920s. It was very like a very heavy industry where a lot of people wanted to use hemp in their products. Fun, weird, interesting fact, I guess, maybe fun, interesting. There was the Mexican revolution uh, and those immigrants that came over after the the Mexican revolution uh, brought over their ideas of actually smoking marijuana because it took an immigrant to show white people how to smoke marijuana to have a good time. We did not apparently think of smoking marijuana. We just thought of using it for goods and services. (laughs) I love the facial expression. Well, well, that's just how it is. Thank you, wherever you were. Thank you, Mexican immigrants. <laughs> so he literally basically went after like, hey, I see what they're doing over here. Basically the xenophobia of the 1930s, you start to see the rise in nationalism over in Europe. And Harry Anslinger was basically a part of that, but as a government official. So where does this come in with the war on drugs necessarily? Well, let me tell you about that. So Harry Anslinger, um, he literally hated black people so much and he also hated jazz music beyond belief. Oh, it's not that bad. Jazz music is beautiful. 
So Harry Anslinger, um, along with his agents that he sent onto the field, which are obviously white people, they went to go listen to people like Louis Armstrong, Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, and they would say, you know, they're playing under the influence of marijuana. It makes them personally feel that they sound amazing and wonderful. But in all honesty, to these very boring white people, they were like, oh, it sounds hideous. How can anyone listen to jazz music? And literally jazz music, especially during the 1930s, was like the epitome of just a new, it's, it's very unflowing. There's not real rhythm. You can just kind of go off on tangents. That's why jazz music's that's great. True. And that's literally the opposite of like, you know, bureaucracy in the 1930s where it's like, everything has a place. You put it down in a place, blah, 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 blah. So you have Harry Anslinger, um, and literally there was a doctor who came to him who he had arrested his brother because they literally would go out and be like, oh, you bought you bought one joint? You were going to jail. Like they would literally have, that's what their agents would do. Is, Sell you a joint and take you to jail? Yes. That's bullshit. And you wouldn't even get to like pretend to hold the joint. It was probably just oregano. At least I'll be smoking. No, man. It's because like you just had it in your possession. It was probably oregano too. This is probably some like high school BS. They wouldn't let oh, you smell it. But anyways, Harry Anslinger literally said to a doctor that doctors cannot treat addicts even if they want to. And we know that is definitely not the case now, but Harry really thought that you would have to make somebody go cold turkey and you need to deprive them of drugs because drugs are horrible and that's what's wrong with minorities because jazz music. That's a pretty big leap. Well, um, yeah. He also created stringent drug laws and unreasonably long prison sentences that would and did give rise to American's prison industrial complex back in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to rebuild America during the early 20th century. Let's build prisons. Let's build prisons. Awesome. By prisoners. Prisons for prisoners. By prisoners. And his focus was more on a war on culture. Like I said, you know, he wanted to like squish out jazz music and, you know, just the radical freedom that people had with jazz and the people of color. Um, and he definitely was a xenophobe to a devastating effect. So I want to pick out a famous case that most people, I guess, would not probably know. But Billie Holiday. You know who Billie Holiday is? Mm-hmm. So she has um, one of her famous songs that she sang. And she sang it like one time. She sang it and then leave as a cabaret performer was Strange Fruit. Well, let me actually back up before we talk about Billie Holiday. So they would send his, he would send his white agents to these jazz performing clubs. And they would arrest a jazz performer. Nobody in the community would snitch on him. Nobody would snitch on any of the other guys that would go out and play. Like they won't snitch on Louis. They won't snitch on, you know, Thelonious. They're literally are like, they rally together. They're like, nah, man, we don't know where these drugs came from. You planted them, which probably, you know, yeah. also yeah. could be true uh-huh. because, you know, cops. Yeah. And they would also like band together to bail the person out. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So they realized you can't really go after that community, the jazz band community. He decided that he was going to go after a woman. Because a woman is not part of the jazz community in the sense of she is a woman versus all of the men he yeah. went after. Yeah, so. Misogyny. Clever, I guess. Clever girl, except for he's a man. No, that isn't really. Maybe that was part of the issue. It was probably. I mean, I feel like he definitely had some issues. But mm-hmm. so back to Billie Holiday. So she has this amazing song called Strange Fruit, which she actually took from, and I'm not, I can't remember the name. I'll probably put it down in the notes somewhere. She sang the song that originally was a poem that was then translated into um, a work of like to song lyrics. Um, and when Billie Holiday would go and sing it, she literally would have servers couldn't serve right before she did it or during the song. Everything was black. The stage light was on her. Once she was done with the song, the spotlight went out and the lights would come up when she had left the stage. It's a very moving song. If you've never heard it, it's about um, lynching in the 1930s. The, Jew- the Jewish man who saw this photo of two men that had been, that were lynched. He wrote this poem about it changing into music and Billie Holiday, her version of it is just very moving. And she would sing it one and done, no encores, nothing. Hmm. That was it. 
Well, as uh, women are not allowed to have fun in their life, Harry Anslinger realized he could not send white agents into the field to go check, like to basically check on her. You know, they would stick out like a sore thumb because they're white. I would imagine these guys are really easy. You're going to Harlem. Like, can I have uh, seltzer water? (laughs) Exactly. But supposedly the agents that he would hire sometimes would go out in the field and to prove that they're quote unquote, not a cop, they do drugs with you. Like they would sell you drugs. So they went out with huge amounts of drugs on them. All this heroin and cocaine. Cause Billie Holiday definitely wasn't just a marijuana smoker. She was, she had a pimp. She had a horrible manager. She had a husband who beat her. She had a lot of things against her and yet she's still amazing. So they sent a, this one black agent, which literally they led him into the door. He had one. He got to go into the building, but he never got to rise or ascend the stairs. Like he didn't get to climb up the ladder, but the stairs. I don't know. That was a good analogy. I still description had to sound terrible. It did. And later on, um, believe his name is Fletcher. He felt, Detective Fletcher felt horrible about the situation later on because he felt like he deceived her because he acted like he was in love with her. It was bad. But anyway. It seems like a lot to go through to arrest someone for drugs. Well, they basically wanted to pin something on someone who was a jazz artist. There was this one time he, the one time that he actually did the whole arrest with Billie Holiday after, you know, seeing her multiple times, doing drugs with her, hanging out with her, saw her at a brothel. And like her favorite thing to do was curse. And if she called you a motherfucker, that meant that she was, she liked you. Aww. I know. And I'm like, that's, that's still I, the case today. I know. If I call you a motherfucker, that means I like you too. Yeah. Samuel Jackson stuff. Exactly. Everybody everybody wants to be like Samuel Jackson. So it's Detective Fletcher. He comes in and he goes before the other detective shows up and is like, hey, if you just tell me where the stuff is, we're not going to have to ransack your place. And, you know, if you tell us where it is, we're also not going to have to get a female cop in here to like shake you personally down to see if you have drugs on your body. And she was so pissed about the whole situation as anyone would with like trust issues. Mm. Yeah. She was like, nope, I'm going to strip for you right now. And my favorite part of the story is that she literally decided to pee in front of them and stared at them as she did it. Power move. That was a power. That was a flex. So anyways, found drugs on her. And she was mad because she was like, don't bring a female cop in here because all they're going to do is, I quote her, put put her fingers up my pussy. They would. They would. And that's that's, part of the job. That is part of the job. But whatever. She peed in front of these two men (laughs) as, as they deserved. Um, she was on trial. She was found guilty of these super ridiculous, stringent laws. She served a year in prison in West Virginia. She didn't sing. It was either Virginia or West Virginia. Um, she didn't sing the whole year she was there during her trial. She didn't cry. She didn't say anything. She's like, what? She was plotting. She was, um, maybe. Well, and also her pimp basically decided that he wasn't getting enough money out of her. Well, she was in jail. So. Well, and this was like before and after. He'd actually worked with Harry Anslinger to put her back in jail. Wow. Yeah. I was like, hmm, that's lovely. So obviously Harry Anslinger had it out for black people. Um, Would you like to know how he treated white people with drug problems? Would you like to know? Sure. (laughs) So do do you? (laughs) So um, I don't know if you knew this or not. Maybe this is going to be like real sad. But our own darling of Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Aww. Is it Judy Garland? Yeah. Yeah. She had, she had heroin problems. And well, she yeah. also I think she had to be thin, 
Like she could have yep. eat. She had to smoke cigarettes on fucking set, and she was like fourteen. Yeah. No, she had a dude, horrible life. It was pretty bad. Again, sucks. So yeah, she can do drugs. She doesn't. yes, she went and met with him. But I'll bet she didn't want those drugs. I bet they were given to her, and then you kind of addicted. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. And also, certain drugs help you lose weight more, keep you where you need to be. Yada yada. So I am not saying anything bad about her doing drugs. Her doing drugs totally up to her. Totally fine. However, one of the studio execs in Hollywood sent her to Anslinger to be like, fix her. Tell like what's going on. They wanted her clean? I don't really know, but I guess it was coming out. Oh, they were like, we can't afford all these drugs anymore. <laughs> we can't afford the, the bad publicity. <laughs> so he basically had to sit down with her, told her to take longer breaks between films and go on vacations so it would hide the drug use. Okay, well, he's but, a problem solver. Exactly. <laughs> So it wasn't even a slap on the wrist. Was she going to the, the Caribbean where he was before? The Bahamas where he had his prohibition? I where don't he know. probably owned a hotel. Oh, maybe. Sense. Right? But he literally didn't do anything. Told the studio execs in Hollywood, everything's hunky-dory, guys. Don't worry. Cool. She's great. Cool. And there was a known socialite in D.C. that was well-refined, lovely, wonderful. She also got, like, arrested-esque by some cops mm-hmm. for some drugs. And he was like, no, she was holding them for someone. Literally, white people things. Yeah. I mean, we're both white people, but holding them. Holding the drugs in my mouth as I'm taking them. I don't know. <laughs> up my nose. Up I my nose. Up there. My hands were full. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, okay. Harry Anslinger, when you think of like this whole promotion of the campaign, also for the, like the starting of war on drugs, this is the 30s. We really didn't have much going on. Um, and to research this role or to research this podcast, I should say, not a role. We, we, all play roles. we all do play roles. Mine is hosting a podcast. Um, we, Trisha and I, watched the original Reefer Madness. I sure did. <laughs> I watched the whole thing in color. Yeah, oh, only the smoke was colorful. Dude, I'm still jealous that the smoke doesn't look like a smoke bomb now. It, yeah, so if you've never seen this movie, we watched it on Amazon Prime. Plug for Amazon Prime right there. Um, they take all my money, whether I bought them or not. You know what? Exactly. Jeff Bezos got my money, so they better be able to show me more movies. Anyways, I digress. So the movie, um, it was made in like 1936, I believe, and literally just talked about like how doing one, smoking one joint turned you into this hardened criminal that would murder people. Murder. And like they would use it as basically like this could happen in your hometown. So you could, you would watch it. At a you know a drive-in like as a double feature and they classic fear mongering is very much so gaslighting fear mongering <laughs> straw man theory like so many horrible it was just bad but my favorite like thing is that you know when they would smoke marijuana each character basically had their own color of smoke oh, and so great. for me personally if I was in that movie I hope that my color would be purple what about you I hope mine's teal. I'll and never it, forget it. It's it was, just gorgeous. It made me want to smoke weed, actually. Yeah, the movie didn't really help um, no, no. that case. <laughs> I was like, is, where, where do you buy it after? What is this? So, you know, you have this, you know, promotion of a campaign, and we basically got rid of hemp because, oh, well, if you're growing hemp, that leads to the marijuana, which is, you know, something that a lot of immigrants, people of color are doing, and immigrants taught us how to smoke it. Oh, no. Oh, no. You don't want to smoke the hemp. Yeah, don't smoke the hemp. Smoke the marijuana. Yeah. So anyways, apparently jazz music was bad because people would smoke marijuana before they played, even though I've never heard anything by Charlie Parker that's bad. Yeah. So I'm just saying they just had poor taste. 
in their music. Yeah. So Trisha, do you have anything you would like to add about the start of the war on drugs? I like that you immediately associate Nixon with drug use. That was the bonus for me. You're welcome. He gets nothing else. Just that's all he deserves. I mean, we all know about Watergate. Yeah. I like that the war on drugs was officially, illegally, officially declared lost by our government. Ooh. Yes. And that makes me happy that they were like, we admit defeat. I mean, I did watch Narcos. We definitely lost. Uh, we're still losing. But at least they gave it up. So we're spending a lot of money. Yeah. So much money. That we could have spent on like rehab for people who actually needed rehab for drugs. Or, maybe, or making that legal so we could get some legal tax money off of this stuff. This I mean, is true. It was a it, 70 years of, of lost money. You know, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics over here. Started everything before the DEA was official because Nixon created the DEA, which absolved the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in 1971, I believe. 1970, something like that. And then alcohol was separated from them. Alcohol, the time, yes, right? alcohol was separated after prohibition because he went. Got with guns, right? it was, yeah, that's a, that's a so, weird combo, but yeah, I've never looked at that history. That might be another podcast for another yes. time. Yes, talking about the how do we how do we uh, classify these cigarettes booze and guns it just sounds like a good time on an airplane it sounds like it yeah well that's all the time we have today on but have you heard about and hopefully you heard a lot about drugs maybe you'll correct me that i don't know how much drugs cost and certain (laughs) things do cost more than others Anonymously, of course. course. Well, with that being said, thank you again for joining us. My name's Courtney, and I hope to have you on the next time. Bye.